Hello, Redemption Hill family and friends. It's good to be with you today. We are still in our series over the book of Ephesians together. We're looking towards finishing the fifth chapter today and jumping into the sixth and final chapter uh, next week. I've tried to keep it ahead of us because it's really quite important. This second half of the book that we find ourselves in now is aimed at teaching uh, believers, those who follow Christ, how to live out their new identity that they have been given well. Uh, a thing that we need to understand is when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, uh, at that point, we are, we're redeemed as soon as we believe. That's, that's definitely true, but the hard reality is even when we come into the faith and we are redeemed, we're not kind of sure exactly how to walk out that new identity well. We're not sure what this walk of faith is, so Paul's kind of speaking into that. And as you hear these sections with quite a few focuses and, and quite a few things that he's speaking into, I hope that you hear these lessons as Paul giving them in a way that helps us, that aids us to live rightly, to equip us, to strengthen us, and to encourage us to walk out the beauty of the identity that we have been given. Uh, the general flow that we kind of find ourselves in the middle of right now in the second half of the book is Paul has uh, come out of the gate saying, hey, believers, walk in a worthy manner of the call that you've been given. Pay attention to how you walk, walk in a worthy manner of the call, and also you are commissioned to continually put on your new identity. Uh, don't just assume that you're walking in the faith well. Uh, try, intentionally focus, watch how you're walking, put on that new identity that you have in Christ, imitate God regularly by looking at him and trying to model what he does even in your own life. And last week, it was be humble enough to let the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, guide you. There is a spirit that Jesus sent to us after he ascended back to help us walk. Be humble enough to let the Holy Spirit guide you. With all of those factors or lessons uh, for us to apply in the arena of our life, there, there emerges a necessary question that we've kind of flirted with for the last couple weeks. So we need to wrestle with it. The question is whether the gospel is just a theory that we kind of accept for our lives, or is it a reality that completely alters and reshapes the life of a believer? Basically, the question is, does the gospel uh, just get utilized to save your soul? Like it's this one-time drink that you just, you, you kind of slam it down, but then you never actually take it again. Or is the gospel a continual fountain that you take in regularly in your life and it carves away kind of the rough edges of your life as it molds you more and more and more into the likeness of the family that you've been adopted into? Right? Which is it? I don't want to go too far down this path just yet. We will be talking about it more later. But if you've been wondering uh, why so many pastors and, and churches and believers have been, as of late, talking about uh, racism very specifically and maybe in a more focused way than they ever have before. If you're wondering, okay, well, what does that have to do with the church and why are pastors doing this? Well, it has to do with the church because the gospel forms us in such a way that we cannot just ignore racism or systematic oppression when it's around us. We must yield to the reality inside the gospel that calls us to imitate Jesus. 
Uh, we must also yield to what directs us to care for the least of these, the, the, the oppressed, the hurting, the, the marginalized, to, to walk in and lament with those who are hurting. Jesus told us himself in light of the gospel, we're to love our brothers and sisters. He said also we're to love our neighbor as ourself. If the gospel is not just a one-time idea that you just kind of agree with and you walk away, if it's a shaping reality that continues to kind of affect our lives, then to let the gospel inform our lives is necessarily to be those who confront racism head-on, declaring that the Bible says that every man, woman, and child is made in the Imago Dei. The image of God, regardless of skin color, regardless of nationality, of language, of background, or anything like that. Therefore, they are deserving of, of dign- dignity, equality, and, and kindness. Racial reconciliation, be careful, is not the gospel. But it most definitely is something that is a gospel issue that we care about if the gospel is continually transforming us. I hope that kind of brings clarity to you. If you're confused, pastors aren't quote-unquote trying to be political. They're trying to hear the gospel and honor what Jesus tells them to. I also hope that we are in a spot where if you are following Jesus, that you and I uh, can, can admit, hey, we have this desire to be continually shaped. I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm not fully formed. I'm not finished. I, I've got some things that could use some help. I hope that we could all get into this spot where we could say, gospel, keep working in us. There's much left for it to do in and around and, and, and through us. I, I hope that's the way that you are kind of hearing this second half of the book of Ephesians. Uh, Today we'll deal with a section of scripture that's going to speak specifically into gospel intentionality in the arena of marriage. Paul writes all over uh, in Corinthians and in other places that uh, you don't have to be married. There isn't some hierarchy of married versus single. But this text is just going to say, hey, if you are married or want to be married, this is a way that the gospel affects your marriage. So we'll jump in verses 22 through 33 of chapter 5. This will kind of finish off that fifth chapter before we jump into the last one. It says this, and and, and guys, it it jumps right into the nitty-gritty immediately. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Stick with me. Please don't stop listening or turn it off. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is 
the word of the Lord. This text is is one, guys, I'll be honest with you, right? I, I've had this in my mind, in the distance, in this whole series as that one text because it's a text that can bring about division. It can bring about anger, hurt, frustration, and, and so many things like that. This text is definitely one that can be kind of a, a hotbed for, for, for difficulty. Right? And knowing that just kind of makes this text a big deal. I would imagine that more than one of you might have read ahead and already knew what was coming today. Um, maybe you knew uh, uh, what the text was about. Maybe you're nervous for what's going to be said or how it's going to be handled because of the way it speaks about Christian marriages, specifically with tying together wives and submission inside the text. Before we dig into the details, though, to, to try and be helpful to us, we really need to realize something together about all of us. We all come into hearing this text today about marriage with our prior experiences in hand. Right? We come with everything that came before today with us, meaning to a certain degree, you and I are not blank canvases as we come into this text. Right? The totality of what we've experienced personally and seen elsewhere, what we've seen about other marriages, what we've witnessed about our, our family and maybe our own marriage, that tends to, to rush in and almost give us a, a predisposed position onto what we'll think about this text. So, so we don't necessarily come in completely open. We come in probably with a tendency to already see things in a certain way compared or, or, or brought about by what we've seen already. This means if your family was one that you kind of grew up in the, and the marriage was just not awesome, where the dynamic between your mother and father were not healthy in some way, that experience comes with you into how you view this text. Ladies, if you or a family member or a friend or someone you know have been abused, mistreated by a man, if you've been treated as less than a daughter of God, if you have been neglected in some way, degraded physically or uh, emotionally or, or just treated as, as, as less than, then, then this word submission probably feels like an attack to you. Or if you are in a marriage now or have witnessed a marriage before where the husband has just been a terrible leader, almost non-existent spiritually, right? They, they put a roof over the head, but as far as leading, like they're, they're not even in the, the game, right? Where, where there's no leading, no sacrificial love, and yet somehow the husband with absolutely zero uh, leading in the game still expects you to respect his authority or his leadership, though he's not leading at all. That, that most definitely comes into how you view this text. If your father was harsh, distant, or unloving towards the family, then that too definitely colors your perspective of how you hear this weighty text. My point is there are countless ways that you have been influenced by your life experience that kind of probably dictates what you think of this ahead of time. But what if we tried for a moment to, to come into this text with 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 open minds as, and, and kind of blank slates? What if for a second we tried to, to lay aside our opinions, our, our biases? What if for a moment we forgot about the people who did this wrongly? What if we were just open to, to, to hear this text as if nobody had ever screwed it up already? 
If we could do that, what we could begin to see and, and ask is, would this scenario, if we come in as blank canvases, would this scenario that Paul is discussing about marriage, would it actually be a, a good thing? Right? If, if, if we didn't have any of our past experiences, could we come before this text and ask, would this actually make a safe, uplifting, and beautiful marriage? And would this marriage actually be helpful to our walks of faith? Remember, this whole part of the book is equipping you to live out your faith well. And that, and that question is important. Is this type of marriage an aid to your personal faith if you are married? Remember, that's what we're being taught about. Uh, how to walk and flourish and our identity. How to live lives worthy of the call. So Paul, as he addresses marriages... He's not doing it because he heard uh, from someone else that there was a skyrocketing divorce rate. That, that's not why he's entering into this. He isn't doing it because, because ladies are getting too loud. That's not why he's doing this. He's doing it to teach us how to flourish in our faith through the institution of marriage. How the institution of Christian marriage is designed to mold us and, and shape us. How marriage is a means to not just make families but to make us more sanctified. This is a big way that Christian marriage differs from uh, the kind of cultural view of, of the contract union of marriage today. Culture often believes that marriage is a means to make us happy or fulfilled. I enter this agreement, you make me happy, complete my life in some way. Where Christian marriage is a means to, to, to make us holy and mature. Now, that doesn't mean in Christian marriage that you cannot have happiness, right? As if the goal is just, no, 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 just be miserable while you're married. That's not the goal. But the point is, if you aim only for happiness, you will most likely miss holiness. But if you aim, as Paul says here, for holiness, you can also get happiness as well if the gospel blossoms in your marriage and transforms you and the one that you are married to together in light of of what Jesus has done and how he has loved you. Paul is shooting for a bigger goal. Yes, I want you to be happy, but I really want you to be holy and happy. Verse 22 through 24, as we start jumping into what the text actually says. Paul says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I want to look at it by trying to clarify what some of what Paul is asking for here. The text does not say, husbands, you better check your wives and make sure they submit to you. That is absolutely not what it says. The text doesn't say, elders, you better get after all the other wives in your church and make sure that they are submitting. That's not the words here. No, Paul is addressing wives personally as if he's, wives, let me just, uh, husbands, you be quiet and sit there for a minute. Uh, wives, let me speak to you, right? And he's saying, ladies, please voluntarily submit yourself to your own husband. Did you catch that detail though? Your own husband, Submit to all husbands? No, that's, that's not at all what it says. Submit to, to other husbands? No. To, to all men? No. To, to everything that's not a woman? No, that, that's not at all what it says. Just to your own. Ladies, please, voluntarily submit to your own husband. That's the ask. There have been so many unfortunate incidents where men have tried to create an area where all women need to submit to all men. 
as if just being a man is like this magic trump card that, that just lets you win and, and be right and have the power, as if men were just automatically wiser and more capable than, than women. And, and this creates an incredibly degrading culture where women just are not valued. Paul is not doing that. He's just asking for wives to submit to their own husbands voluntarily. No, you don't need to listen to that guy. He's not your... No, you don't need to submit to his leadership. He, no, just, just hear me. Would you consider how you submit to your own husband? That's, that's what Paul's saying here. Now we need to process what Paul is asking for. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Okay, well, what does he mean by submit? Right, the, the term submit is a hot button issue in our culture. Nobody wants to submit and, and value plays are always put on the word submission. But, but what does it mean here? Does this mean that insecure men get to demand that their wives just not get any, any say in anything? Does this mean that, that wives, you need to ask permission before you leave the home or, or, or buy a, a shirt to see if your husband approves of it? Does this mean, wives, that you need to be quiet and, and just serve and fulfill needs and have dinner on the table and stuff like that? Absolutely not. That, that's not at all what Paul's getting at here. I'm sorry that it has been presented at different times as if that is what he's saying. So many times uh, we have problems of the Christian view of marriage because people have had a cavalier or ignorant use of this text where they, where they take it out of their context and they demand of women things that were never actually even said here. Submit does not also mean treat your husband as if he is your master. That. No, that, that's not what it means here either. The word submit here means to come under the leadership of someone. In essence, it's allow them to lead you. Follow them willingly as you live. This would bring into view for the people who heard it the idea of how a, a soldier follows a trusted general. Right? The soldier trusts the leading and he respects the general. So when the general's like, hey, I, this is the plan. We're, we're going to try and go this way. And I've, I've kind of sought after and, I, and I've looked after and through my experience and what I see, we're, we're just going to kind of go this way. And the soldier goes, all right, I'll go with you. That, that's what submission means here. It, and here's some, some great stuff. There's so many healthy checks, checks and balances in the text that, that we could miss if we're not careful. Paul puts qualifiers here that safeguards wives against sinful, bad headship in their husbands. The text says, wives, follow your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Notice the way Paul carefully uses the specific word as in the text. See, some have tried to use this as a blanket statement saying, wives, without question, without pushback, without even talking, whatever your husband says, you just need to do it because the word says here, submit in everything. So just obey and submit and just do what he tells you. But that's not what Paul says in the text. He says, submit to your own husband as you would to the Lord. The way you submit to the Lord is the way he wants you to submit to your husband and submit to him as the church submits to Christ. Now, is our submission to the Lord a submission to a callous, demanding, and harsh boss? No. 
Is our submission to the Lord unloving and dutiful commands being leveled and saying, well, because I'm a man, you have to do it? No, not at all. The same way Jesus loves and guides us as our Lord, the way we follow his lead for our faith and spiritual walk, this is also the way wives should follow their husbands. This is what Paul is getting after. This means if a husband tries to to make a wife submit by doing something sinful or or, or wrong or just kind of sketchy, uh, she has no need to follow him, right? That, That would not be how she submits to the Lord. If a husband demands a family to to, to do some huge move or plan of action or kind of wants to dictate this large overarching plan that's going to really affect everyone in uh, the the, the family but doesn't want to talk through it and doesn't want to hear the wife and just says, well, I'm the husband and because I said you're going to to do it, the wife doesn't need to do that. That's not what submission means here. She's not being called to silently nod and accept harsh plans from a husband. No, no, no. That's not even close to how the Lord leads us or how we come to submit to his good leading over our lives. He doesn't come in hot and mean and just say, because you're going to do this. There is no call from Paul for wives to, to stand in silence as their husbands lead them terribly, sinfully, and harshly. That's not at all what he's saying. The words submit and everything in verse 24 are tied to as the church submits to Christ. The way Christ lovingly leads, seeks the good of, and lays himself down for the church, the way Christ cares for, knows what is best for, and just strives to bless the church, those are all signs of of spiritual leading and guidance for the good of the, the church. Wives, when you see your husband trying to do that, that's what I want you to submit to. Wives, when you see your husband trying, and sometimes maybe they're not doing it perfectly, but they're trying to shepherd you and guide you, and they're seeking after your good, and they're seeking after the good of the family, and and they're trying to help you grow in faith and nurture and and love you and care for you and, and guide you to a good spot, and they have the best interest of the family and your flourishing in faith in mind. When they're doing that, even at sometimes if it's not the exact 100% perfect way, Paul's saying submission means you go with it. Go with it. Let them guide you towards holiness. Let him guide you as Christ does the church. This is not meant to be degrading or a bad thing for Christian marriages. It is meant to be an added layer of shepherding and soul care in the family and over the the life of the wife. It is meant to help you grow in your faith and also help the husband grow in his leading. Because if we're honest, we're just not all naturally great leaders. What is difficult, and I've seen more than one time over the years, is this, though. Uh, When a husband tries to lead the home well, when he tries to lead in the faith, and he tries to help them grow in gospel-centered ways, whether it's a study or some sort of focus, but he he has thought, and he's prayed, and he's wrestled, and he goes, okay, guys, I want to try and do this, and he kind of has this plan to help them grow, and he tells the wife, and the wife doesn't really love the way that the plan unfolds, so she goes, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing that. And she rejects his attempt to lead and, and love her. The plan isn't bad. It just isn't her preference. So she goes, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do it. See, what happens often when that happens in the, in the home is whether the man says it or not, they become hurt and they begin to be gun shy over leading later. 
right? And they maybe stop lovingly trying to lead. And maybe they even become passive and absent. And women, I'm not saying that's all your fault. The man needs to press in and not give up. But it's a hard thing when a husband does try and lead and maybe has a pretty strong wife. And she goes, well, I don't like the way that you're doing that. So I'm, no, I'm not. I've got a better plan. I'm not going to do it. See, I think this is what Paul is getting at. Wives, at times your husband will lead you in ways that are not at all wrong, but just maybe not your preference. It's totally fine to express that preference because there's not a call for you to just be silent, but know that Christ has given him to you to help guide you and the family. So at times, when your preferences may not 100% line up, an act of worship for you, worship to Jesus, not your husband, is to submit and trust him and, and, and let him lead there. Right? An act of trusting Jesus more would be trusting and submitting to letting the husband lead you in that moment. Right? This is what Paul is asking for. This isn't supposed to give weak men a chance to get their, their way in all matters or church matters. It's supposed to create a culture of love where the husband strives to lead well and the wife feels loved and cared for well. And as she feels cared for well, she trusts him more and more, and the family grows in the gospel. This is what submit means here. It's, it's not a, 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 a kind of a automatic guy wins, gets his way and everything, and the woman doesn't get to talk about it. Man, I'm so sorry it's been presented that way sometimes. When the man's trying to lead, though, let, let, him, let him do that. Let him try. To make sure this isn't just a call for women to obey, Paul also addresses the husbands here. If we were at a marriage conference in a church, this is normally where the speaker would like tee off on the, on the guys. I'll try not to do that. But husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave, him up, gave himself up for her. This call to the husbands cannot and should not be removed from the call of the wives. Meaning, Paul wasn't saying, okay, the important part here is wives, you do your part, and guys, you just do whatever, but try and be loving. No, no, no. The idea is husbands are called by God to love their wives sacrificially. Sacrificially. They don't get a free pass to lead however they want. They get the command to strive to act like Jesus in their leadership and how they guide the home hear that. You don't get automatic authority and influence. You get a command to sacrificially love, to be like Jesus in learning to, to lay yourself down for the good of your wife, to be like Jesus in learning to lay down preference and, and, and comforts so that your wife can grow and be blessed in, in her faith, sacrificial laying down of the life. The same way Jesus intentionally sought out a plan to make the church holy, husbands seek out a plan and walk out the plan to help your wife grow in holiness. This means your leadership of the home has to include not just demands and commands, but a plan for the family or at least a way of life that points to the gospel and gives it a chance to, to grow continually. See, this is how Jesus loves us, how he loves his beloved bride. He continually tries to help us and grow us and shape us and mold us. Husbands, also the way that Jesus continually and slowly guides your heart 
Paul's saying you need to, in that way, have that kind of persistent aim to guide your wife's heart. How? By, by washing it with the word. That's so important. Don't wash it with harshness or, or, or critique. Have this culture where the word is all around, where it surrounds you and your home, right? You go to church. You have the word in your home. You talk about it. You, you, you ponder it. You, you, you even maybe debate it at times, but you have this continual pattern of the word to help you and your wife grow. Here's a hard thing also that I've seen. It isn't difficult to see situations where a man gets a desire to grow in the word of God, right? But then he'll take that desire and he'll only foster or facilitate that desire uh, kind of outside of the home, separate from his wife and with other men. As if that desire to grow in the, in the word, it's only for, for, for him. So he's like, ah, I'll see you later. And he, and he grows in the word outside with other people and other men. And he helps develop other people. And he kind of ignores the wife. Paul is rebuking that. Guys, go home and grow the home. Wash it with the word. Love them. Show them the love of Jesus over and over and over and over again. So they can see the beauty of the gospel. It's so difficult. So often husbands will have a primary goal of, of putting a roof over the head or supplying certain means. But the focus will never actually be on washing the family and the word of growing. Paul's going, don't do that. There's such a clear call here for husbands. Dig into the way that Jesus has, has loved you husbands. And then learn to apply that selfless, kind, patient, intentional love to your wife. Look at it from Jesus. Apply it to your wife. Right? This would be a love that doesn't scream or shout or get loud. It doesn't demand harshly. It doesn't freak out. This is a love that doesn't look for revenge or, or, or getting even or giving the cold shoulder. This is a love that doesn't throw in the, I told you so's. Are you always in the middle of, a, of an argument? This is a tender, gentle, and yet relentlessly persistent love. See that way Jesus loved you, husbands? Yeah, love her that way. Paul says, husbands, your high call is to see, experience, and give that love back to your wife, aiming to help her grow. As you grow in your own faith regularly, Show her that love that you're learning about. Walk through it with her and apply it to her. This is such a beautiful call here. A call to lead by giving yourself away. A call to lead by straining to love more and more and more. A call to lead not by wielding power or, or saying I have the power or demanding to be respected, but leading by loving in a way that is like Christ. Patient, persistent, and kind. Guys, here's the honesty. We're, we're going to mess this one up. But just because you mess it up doesn't mean you don't try again afterwards. See the love of Jesus. Apply the love of Jesus. Then you feel the love of Jesus and your wife feels the love of Jesus more. This is your call. I mentioned before that we would do well to try and see this text with fresh eyes. If we had zero past experiences to work with and came to this text just empty-handed, right? Then... Uh, Maybe it would show us that God created marriage and Christian homes to work in a way that kind of perpetuated a cycle of gospel growth and transformation. 
right? If we have no past experiences, this type of marriage isn't meant to demean or to degrade or hurt. It's to continually have this cycle of growth. Paul's saying, husbands, love your wife just like Jesus loved you. That's your mission. Lay yourself down. Don't dominate her. Don't crush her. Just show her Jesus over and over and over again in how you love. This will require you, husband, to look at Jesus because you cannot show a love to your wife that you're not experiencing yourself. So make sure you're regularly doing that, reminding yourself of his love. And hey, you can actually remind yourself of his love with your wife as you wash both of you in the word. And again, seek to show her in word and deed the love of Jesus. Husbands, this will definitely sanctify you because this is not easy. It's actually extremely hard. Why? Because we're sinful at times. There are going to be times that you'd rather not love like Jesus, right? That you'd rather not be patient or not be kind because I want to be right or I want to win. I I just want to get my, my way. When that happens, Paul would kind of remind us, okay, that's not the way that Jesus loved you. So kind of back up, see the way that Jesus loved, and then re-enter back in. And when you come to a spot where you know you failed in this regard, come back to your wife and say, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry. And just back there, I, man, I didn't, I didn't love you the way that I was called to you. I'm sorry I modeled a false gospel by by, by showing you a love that is not showing you the love of Jesus. That's not the way he loved me, and that's not the way that I should love you. Man, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Hear that. Ask for forgiveness. Say, I'm sorry. Repent to God and say sorry to your wife. Right? And wives, when you see your husband trying, Give him margin to fail. Help him grow in his leadership. Here's the thing. We need your help to grow in our leadership. So wives, when you see your husband trying, encourage him. Like, how powerful would these words be? I see you trying to love me like Jesus. I see that opportunity where you could have been impatient, where, where, man, I would... You could have been right and you were gentle. Man, that was the love of Jesus. Thank you. Encourage him. Help him learn to love the family well, also by submitting to him more when you see it. Not because he's more valuable, but because Jesus asked you to. Your act of submission will help you grow in your own faith because sometimes you're going to see your husband try and lead and he's trying to do the right thing. You're like, I don't know. And you're going to have to trust Jesus and it's going to grow your faith even in the middle of that. The idea here, husbands love your wives as Jesus loved you. Lay yourself down. Show her the beauty of Jesus's love. Wives, when you see your husband trying to lead you that way, encourage him and, and, and follow him, right? This, this cycle, husbands, grow in your ability to see Jesus and apply it. Wives, trust in the sacrificial love that your husband is trying to show you. Man, this is never meant to create a toxic environment. This is not meant to uh, create some kind of kind of hierarchy where women are, are, are devalued or a terrible marriage. It was created to help foster love, intentionality, and gospel transformation. Wives, I hope that you understand this is never meant to invalidate you. 
The submission that you are asked to give is always tied to your husband's obedience to God and him leading in love also. This isn't a blank card. He gets to do what he wants. No, no. As you see him trying to follow Jesus, follow him. Paul aimed to help us see that walking in this type of marriage will help us all. The husband will grow to love rightly day in and day out. He'll be forced to look at Jesus and the wife will feel safe and loved as her husband does that. As she sees him become a better man whose faith is walking out better and he loves her and the family better. Right? This is no domination, no invalidation, just gospel saturation. This is what Paul wants to see And this is what Christians are meant to aim at in their marriage. Paul says in the tail end of the section of scripture, this is a profound mystery, a.k.a. this is really confusing how marriage is like church in Christ. What I believe he is saying to us is that as we approach marriage this way, it will not only cause our homes to grow in the gospel, it will actually cause our marriages to be shadows and demonstrations and pictures of the gospel itself where the beauty of Christ's sacrificial love is found in the husband and the beauty of the, of the church's submission to Christ will be found in the wife's brave trust and submission to her husband. Our marriages will literally speak the gospel as they model it so people inside the church and outside of the church can look in their marriage and see this love and this beauty and they can start seeing the kingdom of God as only redemption and grace and mercy would bring about this type of relationship. Paul's going, it's a mystery that our marriages are designed in such a way to literally speak and show the gospel when we do it right. When we sacrificially love and when we trust and submit. As we wrestle with this text and, and how it might speak to our own marriages if we are married. First, if you're, if you're listening and you're single, you are valuable and, and, and you are good. This is just a section speaking to married people. Right? But if you are married, trying to figure out, I think Paul's message to us would be, no matter how you've done before today, you can enter in and see this and try. Men, no matter how many times you've failed or fallen short or you've said you'd do better and you haven't, see that each time that has happened, there's more grace available to you from Jesus. So you have margin to, to get up and, and try again. Right? Jesus will never let you go so you can pick yourself up and start over today. If you've seen, man, I haven't loved her sacrificially. I haven't loved the gift of my wife. Well, a great first step may be to, to look at your wife and ask her today, can I pray with you so that our marriage will look like one where Christ's love is more evident because of the way that I love you? Will you pray with me about that? Man, I know I haven't always done well at that. Or, or I, I know I need, to, I need to learn to do that. Would you, I can't do it on my own. Would you help me or would you pray with me? And then even in that prayer, in light of the text last week, and even in that prayer, say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to lead and love, well, my wife, the way that Jesus loves me? I haven't been doing that. I need your help. Would you help me? All of your past experiences, your past shame, your past failures can be put away as you begin to ask God and the Spirit to help you now to do better in modeling the gospel in your marriage. Wives, I'm so terribly sorry that so many times men have led you poorly or used this kind of scripture to tell you that you're just not as valuable. I'm sorry for that. Ladies, wives, I want to tell you it's okay to ask your husband to lead you like Jesus. 
I, I, I'd probably recommend like don't don't do it in, in, in that way with the eyes that tell them they're worthless. But it's okay to say, I want this. I want this. It, it's okay to say, I, I want the love of Jesus to be modeled in our home. It, it's okay to ask for that. It's also okay to, to ask for forgiveness if you've rejected your husband's lead. Right? Maybe he's tried. Maybe he's tried to lead you and you've just kind of had this thing that's welled up and maybe you say it actively or passively and you kind of give this idea like, well, you don't get to lead me because I'll do it on my own. If that's happened, maybe, maybe this is the moment that you turn to your husband and you tell him, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't respect your try to lead me and I, I, I need to pray with you that I will do better to, to, to trust you. Can, can we just pray together about it? Men and women, husbands and wives, we can both pray together and we can both repent and confess the areas which maybe haven't done so well in this. See, my prayer is that all married couples would grow in this today, right? That we would see Jesus's love all over our marriages that we would see this, this beautiful trust, the, the, the way that the church submits to Jesus, we would see this trust found in the marriage as well so that our marriages would grow in strength, so that we would grow in the gospel, so that other people in the church would see the beauty of the gospel through our marriage so that our marriage would be filled with joy in what Jesus has done and so also the people around us who are not saved see the gospel through it. Guys, what I hope that we hear through this is it's okay to try. There's this difficulty in grace teaching sometimes that just tells us we don't need to be intentional. We do. Our marriage is a primary area that we need to focus. We need to see the gospel. We need to ask and pray that the gospel would be seen more in our marriages as well. Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to, to strain. And don't be afraid to ask for help from the Spirit because He will guide you and help you so that your marriage can flourish. I hope that you would spend some time praying about that later uh, today. We have a worship guide available also, uh, like normal. So if you'd spend some time with that, that would be great. Entering in prayer, asking that the Spirit would, would help you and guide you to, to maybe just do marriage better in light of the gospel. And that we would see Jesus more through that. I hope that we will do that. And let's pray and ask for that. Father, I thank you for this text, even if it's a difficult one. Uh, Spirit, I just ask for, for my marriage and the marriages of other people who are listening that we would see the gospel more through them. For the husbands who've just not loved well, I pray that you give them conviction in the ways that they need it, but also encouragement for ways to change that. That they would ask for forgiveness, that they would be transformed by seeing your love more clearly and then applying it to their wives. Father, I pray for, for wives that maybe are fearful or, or, or nervous or, or maybe they've been given a, a hundred promises and all the time they've, they've, they've just never been met with action. I pray that you would give them peace. I pray that their trust would be more in, in you today. I pray that they would be comforted by you and I pray that you would help them see what does trust look like in the arena of spiritual leading in their home. Holy Spirit, we need your help in that. All of us have different cases. We come from different areas, but we need your help. Help lead our homes. Lead our husbands, lead our wives, so that our children can see the beauty of the gospel as well. We pray that in your name. Spirit, do your work. Be glorified. Amen. 
Church will dig into the sixth chapter next week. Uh, There actually is going to be more stuff about submission in that, not just to wives. What we'll see is all over the kingdom of God, there's this built-in layers of submission that helps us grow. So we'll dig further into that then, uh, and we'll start working our way further towards the end of the book. I hope that you're doing well. Uh, Be looking for some more updates coming soon about what we'll be doing over the next couple months. Love you guys. Talk to you again later.